Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. For those of you that uh, um, may have missed Easter, um, this Sunday we are picking up on a new sermon series that we started for Easter. The sermon series uh, is about heaven, and we don't often have an opportunity to talk about heaven. But here at North Sound, uh, every so often we like to stop and talk about that place that is our destination so that we have a little better understanding of what awaits us. We have also, in the last three or four weeks, had a, a whole number of families affected by grief here at North Sound Church. We have been touched by uh, grief. And if you live very long, we are all touched by grief in one way or another. And The wonder of Easter is the story of Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday where he became the means by which our sins are forgiven and the wonderful story of the resurrection on Easter Sunday where he was raised that we will be raised also with him. I I like with our Anglican friends how they celebrate Easter a little bit longer. We sort of have the one Sunday and we move on, but our Anglican friends are in the season of Easter tide where where the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection continues. And the reason that we are able to talk about heaven this morning is because of Easter, because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, uh, we talked about the question of, is that all there is? We talked about the fact that uh, so many times in life, when we're in a season where we're down, when the season is difficult, we ask ourselves the question, is that all there is? Is that all there is to life? But even in the very best times of our lives, when we, when, when we experience great joy, when we're out in the beauty of nature, we ask ourselves the question, still there's that vacancy, we ask ourselves the question, is that all there is? And we concluded... Um, last week that God has put in our hearts a longing for more, a longing that can't be fulfilled in this life, a longing that can only be fulfilled in the future. Today we're going to shift gears. Last week I told a number of different stories to illustrate this. This week um, we're going to do a real Bible study. So um, if you noticed this morning that when Eric read the scriptures, um, he used his, uh, his phone uh, to do so. I was thinking as I was sitting there, boy, we're, we've changed, haven't we? Where instead of a big Bible up front, we, uh, we, we have the scripture reading from a cell phone. Um, but in fact, if you have a cell phone, if you have an iPad, if you have a, an old-fashioned Bible, um, that would be wonderful for you to kind of follow along. Also, uh, there's some white space in the program, and uh, I would encourage you to at least jot down some of the verses we talk about, because um, you're probably going to want to go back and refer to them later. The thing that we're going to talk about today as we talk about heaven um, is is termed by theologians eschatology. And that's sort of a fancy long word. It comes from the Greek eschaton, which has to do with the last things. And if there's one thing that's controversial in church circles, it's eschatology, it's how things are going to work out. We have, a, we have an inside joke at North Sound Church about eschatology, and, and we talk about the different theological positions. So there's premillennial, pre-tribulation eschatology, and there's post-tribulation, premillennial eschatology, and there's mid-tribulation, premillennial 
eschatology, and there's post-millennial eschatology, and there's amillennial eschatology, and at North Sound Church, we believe in pan-millennial eschatology, which means it's all going to pan out in the end. So uh, (coughs) uh, we're going to spend some time looking at what I believe the scriptures tell us on this subject of heaven this morning. Uh, I wanted to mention to you, too, I didn't mention it last week, but probably 10 years, maybe even more, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. And if uh, if you're interested in digging a little bit deeper in the subject, I encourage you to consider picking up his, uh, his book. Today we're going to address the question, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? And uh, it's more than an academic question for these families that we talked about this morning who have lost their loved ones. It's no longer academic. It's no longer just eschatology. We want to know where is dad or mom or son or husband? What, what, What happened to them at the moment of death from a biblical perspective? And for many of us, we, as we get older, we begin to think about the reality of heaven for ourselves as well. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that when we die, we don't go directly into the eternal heaven. We don't go directly to where we will be for eternity, uh, but in fact, we go to what theologians call an intermediate heaven, Or the Bible actually uses a very interesting term. It uses the term paradise to describe where we go when we die. So we're going to look at this intermediate heaven, this paradise, from several different perspectives this morning. But first of all, I want to make the point that the intermediate heaven is not the forever heaven. In the old days of flight, I don't know if you've ever read about the flying boats, the, uh, the, the Pan Am clippers that used to take people around the world. What, a, what an amazing adventure it would have been to have been able to have done that, to have taken those flights. But even later with prop airplanes, um, we, we could only go a certain distance. Um, I told you about our flight to India a month ago. Um, a 14-hour flight from Seattle to Dubai. You know, uh, previous generations would have only dreamed of that. And uh, in some ways, uh, after a 14-hour flight, we wish it was the old days where we <laughs> weren't on an airplane for 14 hours. But the point is, is that is that we had to take some breaks when we were flying in the old days. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I've never been to Tahiti. Now, I think some of you have been to Tahiti. I hear Tahiti is kind of like heaven on earth. It's an amazing place. So if you think about this with me this morning, let's think about rolling back the time into the the 1940s. And um, you want to go to Tahiti, which is heaven on earth. But you have to make a stop on the way to Tahiti. And the stop is in a place called Hawaii. And you didn't know much about Hawaii because you had your sights set on Tahiti, which is heaven on earth. But the airplane lands in Hawaii where you're going to overnight. And when you come to Hawaii and you look around, you discover that it has a name that the people in Hawaii call their islands. It's called an island paradise. Yes, So you land in paradise on your way to heaven on earth. How does that work? Does that work for you? 
That, that metaphor? Okay. So that's the picture that we have biblically of what happens when we die. We die and we go to paradise, but that's not our final place. That's not the new heavens and the new earth that the scriptures talk about. So the analogy may be a little bit strained, but I want to try to, to get in your minds the idea um, of, of this intermediate heaven or paradise and the forever heaven, which the Bible calls the new heavens or the new earth. It's described in Revelation 21. It's what Eric read for us this morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the forever heaven. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This heaven that's just described here is not yet in existence. So according to the passage of Scripture, the revelator, John the revelator, is looking ahead. And in looking ahead, he sees the new heaven and the new earth, and they will be created at some point in the future, but they're not there yet. We can't go to the new heaven and the new earth when it doesn't yet exist in time. However, one day it will be a reality, and at that time the curse will be removed from the earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, they will be together as we see here. And the Lord's prayer that we prayed this morning will be fulfilled in this new heaven and this new earth. The Lord's prayer will be fulfilled when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? on earth as it is in heaven. So at North Sound, we take that passage from the Lord's Prayer very seriously, and we envision what would the kingdom of God look like if it came to Edmonds, Washington. So you, you saw when Liz did the announcement a number of ways that we're involved in our community. We believe we need to work for the kingdom to come, so we try to align our efforts with things that would reveal God's kingdom to come in our community. But we recognize that our efforts will only be temporary because eventually the new heavens and the new earth, when the Lord's prayer is fulfilled, will be when there's a new heavens and a new earth and God's will is done in heaven as it is on earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, and he made known to us the the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect, <clears throat> excuse me, when the times will have reached their fulfillment. When does it come into effect? When the times have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ. This is the heaven we normally think of when we think about the eternal destination of those who follow Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to consider this morning is the intermediate heaven is where our spirits go when we die. Paradise is where our spirits go when we die. When we gather together for a memorial service of a friend or a loved one, we encourage one another with the words, they are with the Lord. When I gave Jean a hug this morning, um, this is the first time I've seen her since mom's passing. When I gave her a hug, she whispered in my ear about mom being in a wonderful place. 
And that is how we greet one another. That's the hope of the resurrection, the hope of Easter. That's our Christian hope and our Christian understanding. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2. He said, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. From Paul's perspective, to be away from the body meant that one was with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, there are are some, and perhaps in your background you have been exposed to this teaching, there are some um, that affirm the idea of what is sometimes called soul sleep. It's the idea that there really isn't an intermediate heaven, and when we die, um, our spirits essentially um, uh, are in a sort of a state of suspended animation um, until, uh, until Jesus comes back, until the second coming, and then we participate in the resurrection. Paul uses the metaphor fallen asleep to the folks at the church in Thessalonica. And uh, perhaps that's where a case is built for that, I don't know. But it seems to me that the, the, the relatively clear teaching of the scripture is that we immediately when we die, are with the Lord in his presence. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way in chapter 12 and verse 7, the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, we see there was an immediate transition in terms of the the existence or the life of the one who died. Remember, Jesus said to the thief on the cross these very important words, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, the idea of immediately when we pass away, our spirit's going to be with the Lord in this place called paradise. Paul talks about this transition in his own life in, the letters, in his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He expected that when his labors were done on earth, he would be in the presence of his Lord. Now, the third thing I want to suggest this morning is that we get to the intermediate heaven as a result of the judgment of faith. If you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, Luke 16, we mentioned it just a moment ago. The rich man had a different destination after death. The scripture says he went to Hades. And that's the intermediate state for those who are without Christ, according to the scripture. It also is temporary. Those who, are, who are, have faith in Christ are in a place called paradise. Those who do not find themselves in a place called Hades. Our entrance into God's presence, into paradise, doesn't come as a result of being good people. It's fascinating to me how within American culture, American society, there's this misunderstanding. It's like the scales of justice that you see in courthouses It's as though God has a scale of justice and he puts on one side your good deeds and puts on the other side your bad deeds. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then he says, you all can come into heaven. That's not the picture we have at all in the scripture. If it were on that basis, I'm afraid none of us probably would be making it. The scriptures say because of Easter, because of Good Friday, because he became the means by which our sins are forgiven, because he rose again, he did the work, 
And all we need to do is respond in faith to his grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He reinforces it in his letter to Titus, chapter 3. He says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, not because we were such good people, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Salvation is being saved from death and hell. It's not by being do-gooders. It's not by being good people. It's on the basis of our faith and the free gift that God has provided for us. The gift of salvation becomes the gift of eternal life. There's another judgment according to the scriptures. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This takes place in the future. It appears to have something to do um, with, with recognition, um, with reward, if you like, for what we have done, but it has nothing to do with whether or not we get into heaven. There is another serious judgment called the white throne judgment, and it's for those who have rejected Christ and experience a different fate. Revelation 20 talks about the white throne judgment where we read, <clears throat> Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. It's interesting when faced with a choice between faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, and rejecting that truth, we need to consider the consequences. Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher and a French mathematician. And Blaise Pascal came up with what is famously called Pascal's Wager. And essentially what he said in his wager is that it makes a whole lot of sense for us to base our lives upon the foundation that Jesus Christ was, in fact, who he said he was, that, in fact, he died for our sins, that, in fact, he rose again uh, in eternal life in the resurrection. He asked this question. He said, if I live my life as though there is a God and should find out at the end of my life that I was mistaken, what would I have lost? But if I live my life as though there is no God and find out in the end I was wrong, I would have lost everything. This choice for faith in God makes literally all the difference in the world and all the difference in heaven. I want to put a pastoral parenthesis on this point before we consider the final point this morning. And the pastoral parenthesis is this. Um, I, um, as a Navy chaplain um, and as a pastor, have done many memorial services for, for lots of folks. And, 
And, and many times, often as a chaplain, but sometimes as a pastor, have done services for people where I have no idea where they're at spiritually or what their life has been like spiritually or whether they've ever made a faith commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And from a pastoral perspective, you need to know that I never judge the eternal destiny of any individual, and I recommend that you don't do that as well. We just don't know. We just don't know what has gone on in the life of that individual, what has transpired in terms of their relationship with the Lord. And so when I make a commitment um, of that person, when we do typically a commitment at the graveside or if there's an urn with ashes, I use the terminology, we commit this individual into the hands of a just and merciful God. Because you know what? God's the only one that, that is in a position to understand what happened in that life and is the only one um, that is adequate to make a deliberation on those circumstances. Finally this morning, uh, I want to suggest that the intermediate heaven or paradise is a physical place. Where is this place we call heaven? Not, not the final heaven, not the new heavens and the new earth, but physically, where is paradise? In our common usage, we speak of heavens as in the skies. We, we look up to the heavens, and, and heaven is above, and, and we live in the world here, and hell is below us. And, and it, it kind of has to do with, uh, with the cosmology of the ancient Hebrews, um, where heaven is up, we live in the earth, and below us is Sheol, according to the Hebrew scriptures, or sometimes it's translated the grave, but it sort of means the, the nether world below us as an alternative to heaven above us. And uh, it's important because as we think about this, when you start pushing it very far, it's like, well, what actually happens to us in paradise? If we're only spirits, how can we play the harp with no hands on clouds? You ever thought about that? Sorry, that's supposed to be much funnier than it turned out to be. Um, the glimpses of heaven that we have in Scripture do not suggest that we go to the Lord as unrecognized, disembodied spirits. But in fact, um, it suggests here that um, heaven is, 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 a, is a very real place. In Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 57, we read about Stephen, the first martyr's experience of paradise or this, this intermediate heaven. Uh, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, I want to suggest that the the intermediate heaven may in fact be, be with us in reality in some sense. No doubt you've heard about thin places. You've heard about those places like Iona off the coast of Scotland where the good news of Jesus Christ came by Columba from Ireland into Scotland and northern England or Holy Island, Lindisfarne in England. They're, they're thin spaces. They're spaces where God's presence and the closeness of heaven because heaven is simply where 
where, where God is. It's the realm of God. It's where God rules and reigns. There are thin spaces. If they're thin spaces, it suggests that the reality of paradise, the reality of heaven, in some sense, in some sense is with us. Remember Elisha's servant, uh, Gehazi, when he and Elijah were surrounded by enemy forces, uh, Gehazi became desperately afraid. And, and the prophet Elisha encouraged him by having him open his eyes and seeing through the veil, the thin place. And this is what he said to him. He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can it be there's more than one thing going on in the space around us? Now, I'm taking a leap into something that I'm not an expert on, so I just sort of throw it out there. And those of you that are much brighter than me can, can wrestle with this, and maybe we can dialogue sometime. But, but um, I understand that there is something called string theory, and string theory suggests that there is one unit of time. There is only one time, but there could be as many as nine dimensions. We think about three dimensions, don't we, in our lives? But consider there might be nine dimensions, and it may be possible then that heaven or the intermediate heaven or paradise is in one of those dimensions and is in some sense with us uh, on earth in another dimension um, awaiting Uh, awaiting the second coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. There's an enlightening passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. These capture the situation of those who have been martyred for their faith. And although it takes place in the future, in some sense it describes the existence of these people in the present. They, They appear to be in paradise or in this intermediate state. This is what's said about them. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Revelation is a book that is rich in imagery and metaphor. So we have to interpret carefully. And um, I I found it interesting on this passage, Randy Alcorn, whose book I mentioned earlier, talks about paradise or talks about the intermediate state. And he indicates 21 things that he sees in this passage related to the idea of what happens when we die in the intermediate state or in paradise. So I'm going to go over these um, quickly. If uh, you want a summary, um, if you miss getting them down, you can email me or you can buy uh, Randy's book. When these people died on earth, he says they went to heaven, verse 9. They were the same people killed for Christ on earth, so their lives have continuity in heaven. They are remembered for their lives on earth. They called out, suggesting some physical characteristics. They raised their voices, suggesting they're rational, communicative, and have emotions. They called out, but in one loud voice, suggesting heaven as a place of unity. 
Uh, They uh, are fully conscious, rational, and aware of each other, God and what is happening on earth. Verse 10, they can ask God to intervene on earth and on their behalf. They can ask God questions. Heaven is a place of learning. They know what's going on on earth. They have a concern for justice and retribution. They remember their lives on earth. They pray for judgment on their persecutors who are still persecuting others so they can intercede for those on earth. They see God's attributes, and that helps them understand. And then verse 11, we see that they are distinct individuals. They wear robes, suggesting they have physical forms. God answers their questions, suggesting a process in heaven or processes in heaven, and the fact that we don't know everything even in heaven. They have to wait a little longer, so the intermediate heaven coexists with the fallen earth and awaits the new heavens and the new earth. There is time in heaven as they ask how long. There is a familial connection with the people on earth as they are identified as their fellow servants and brothers. And finally, God knows everything that is happening in heaven and on earth. Wow, that's a a lot to digest, isn't it, in, in one moment? The important thing, I think, for us to know for Jean and for June and uh, for Sarah and for Jean Dorgie and all of these who have lost loved ones recently to know that the intermediate heaven paradise is a wonderful place. We go there the moment we die. We will be in God's presence and the company of our friends and loved ones. And death is not the end, but it's only a passage to this wonderful place that we call paradise. This morning, I'm going to conclude with a a brief video. Um, If you were at North Sound a few years ago, you would have have seen this video a few years ago. Um, This morning, I debated reading um, the poem upon which it's based and decided um, that I could not do nearly as good a job as the guy on the video. The fellow on the video's name is Wintley Phipps. Isn't that an interesting name, Wintley Phipps? Wintley Phipps is a part of the the Bill Gaither team. And uh, in one of the Bill Gaither gatherings, Wintley Phipps um, shares with us an African-American story called Go Down Death. And um, it's full of metaphor and imagery. So the things that he says... in some ways will almost sound contradictory to what I just said this morning from a biblical perspective, but in fact it's not. It's metaphorical language. It's beautiful language. Our African-American friends went through such a horrendous time coming to this nation as slaves, and um, death was very real to them. Remember one of the early spirituals many of us learned, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home? It's because death was very real. Many of them were carried home far too young. And so there's this richness in spirituality, and Whitney Phipps taps into it. And uh, before we go this morning, I want you to hear, having been so analytical this morning in the sermon, I want to conclude with something that addresses death from another perspective. Let's watch together. Weep not. Weep not. She is not dead. She is resting in the bosom of Jesus. Heartbroken husband, 
weep no more. Grief-stricken son, weep no more. She only just gone on. Day before yesterday morning, God was looking down from his great high heaven, looking down on all his children, and his eye fell on Sister Caroline, tossing on her bed of pain. And God's big heart was touched with pity, with everlasting pity. And God sat back on his throne and he commanded that tall, bright angel standing at his right hand, call me death. And that tall, bright angel cried in a voice like a clap of thunder, call death, call death. And the echo sounded down the streets of heaven till it reached away back to that shadowy place where death waits with his pale white horses. And death heard the summons and he leaped on his fastest horse, pale as a sheet in the moonlight. Up the golden street death galloped. And the hooves of his horses struck fire from the gold, but they didn't make no sound. Up death rode to the great white throne and waited for God's command. And God said, go down death, go down, down in Yamacraw and find Sister Caroline. She's borne the burden in the heat of the day. She's labored long in my vineyard. And she's tired. She's weary. Go down, death, and bring her to me. And death didn't say a word. But he loosened the reins on his pale white horse. And he clamped the spurs to his bloodless sides. And out and down he rode through heaven's pearly gates. Past suns and moons and stars on death road, leaving the lightning flash behind. Straight down he came. And while we were watching round her bed, she turned her eyes and looked away. She saw what we couldn't see. She saw old death. She saw old death coming like a falling star, but death didn't frighten Sister Caroline. He looked to her like a welcome friend, and she whispered to us, I'm going on, and she smiled and closed her eyes, and death took her up like a baby, and she lay in his icy arms, but she didn't feel no chill. And death began to ride again up beyond the evening star into the glittering light of glory onto the great white throne. And there he laid Sister Caroline on the loving breast of Jesus. And Jesus took his own hand and wiped away her tears and he smoothed the furrows from her face and the angels sang a little song and Jesus rocked her in his arms and kept a saying take your rest take your rest 
Weep not. Weep not. She is not dead. She is asleep. She is resting in the bosom of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you this morning for uh, the wonder of heaven. Lord, in this season, uh, we have celebrated your death as you became the means by which our sins are forgiven. We have celebrated your resurrection. And because of that foundation, Lord, we thank you for the wonder that that paradise awaits us, that the new heavens and the new earth await us. And Lord, that gives us such hope and such encouragement to realize that this life is not all there is. One day we will be united with you and those that we love. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.